0: If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts,
1: and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood.
0: We're also going to work through ideas for
1: reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past.
0: Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are.
1: We're really glad you're here, and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in.
0: When we rewild our stories, our souls are brought back into wholeness and communion with the natural world. Mary DeYoung.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Deconstructing Mamas Season 4. Today we're talking with Mary DeYoung. And Mary, can you just introduce yourself to all of us? Describe yourself a little bit, maybe an elevator pitch? Sure,
2: yeah. Thank you. Hi everyone. Thanks for this opportunity to talk with you a bit. Yeah. What do I do? This is a question that often is so hard to put in that concise frame of the elevator, but I'll do my best. I'm a spiritual ecologist. I am an eco theologian, and I love deep mythology. And all of that plays together and works together in ways that looks like teaching, writing, leading retreats, leading pilgrimages, all in and around the mix of ecology, spirituality, and ultimately soul formation, spiritual formation.
1: We're dipping our toe into this world, but there's like there's a longing for it. And I think probably a lot of our listeners will feel the same way as you're talking. They're longing for what you're introducing to a lot of us. So we're just excited to have you here. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of what your day-to-day looks like, what your family looks like? and what really makes your heart come alive maybe just kind of a weird random thing about you that gives you life that people might not know oh
2: boy yes okay (laughs) I'm gonna start with the family um, constellation that will kind of give you a clue as to like then how my day is formed I have four kiddos they're all at home so ages my youngest is nine my oldest is 17 and my husband Joel and we have seven urban chickens in our backyard We live fully in the city. And I really want to name that location because a lot of my work leads people to presume that I must be living in the wilderness, that I must have like 10 acres and I'm homesteading and I'm not. (laughs) I live in the South end of Seattle, Washington, two blocks away as a train. We're underneath the flight path of um, SeaTac airport. So all of this to say is this leads into like what my days look like. I get up early to get my kids off to school during the school year. Then when I'm coming back into my day, I'm often going out into my very small garden. I have a little urban garden plot where I do a lot of herbs and I don't know, just play. I play a lot in my garden. I go tend to the chickens. I often do take some sort of sacred walk around my yard where I'm just listening, just listening. After my kiddos when they are around, they're like, what are you doing, mom? You're not talking, you're not doing anything. Like we're seeing you in the backyard. And like, I'm just listening. I'm actually in conversation. I'm listening to the plants. I'm just trying to hear like, what, what's going on? There's this beautiful verse in Job that talks about putting your ear to the earth to learn the stories again. Listen to the birds of the air, listen to the fish of the sea. They will tell you the sacred stories, put your ear to the earth. And I feel like in the morning, I really try to do that practice. I put feed in the bird feeders. So all that was to say, I'm trying to like just center myself a bit before I get in front of my computer. Often I have one-on-one clients where I'm helping folks who are on a spiritual journey, who are trying to find their way back, remember they, their way back into spiritual practices that connect them to the planet, that connect them to the earth, that kind of leave this whole notion of mm, their home as in a heavenly abode to finding their place of belonging here. I might be in a university context teaching class as a guest instructor and spiritual ecology. I might be prepping for a retreat locally. I just got back from Iona, Scotland, where I was for a month. I guided two groups on pilgrimage there. So it looks really different every day. But at some point, I'm definitely interacting with my four kiddos. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to get my hands in the dirt, even if it's just like watering a houseplant.
1: I love that you brought light to the fact that you're living in a city because I think so often, especially like with people who are coming from, right, like high control religious environments, there's this all or nothing way of thinking, right? And this idea of like, no, I live in the city, but I I go and I listen to the outside, right? Like, or I just water my plants or I put... Birdseed in my bird feeder. These like tiny little steps that we can take. So that that was cool. That gave me chills. So I'm. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear what your little fun fact about yourself is. Something that you love. Right. I know. I,
2: I just remembered that that was part of this too. <laughs> well, I I think just because I'm writing on the back of being an Iona and Iona's you know this beautiful island on the far west coast of Scotland, and it's always a time where I get reconnected to the sacramentality of water. And I just find that water there reminds me of what a powerful instructor and guide that element can be. And so while I'm on Iona, I fully engage twice a day in the practice of wild swimming, aka skinny dipping, (laughs) but in these wild waters. And it's Very, you know, it's very lovely and nice and it's not at all obscene or anything. So I take myself away into these far, this far northern reaches. And then when I come home, I really try to continue that practice in some way. So we do live near a lake just less than about a mile away. So I'll continue swimming in the early mornings or I just go to the Y and I try to get in water aerobics. I just try to keep a relationship with the element of water because I find that in particular Well, the elements, all four of them have so much wisdom to offer us, especially when it comes to life in balance. Our climate catastrophe right now is showing us so much about what elements look like when they're out of balance, right? When it's too hot, when there's too much sun, when there's too much water, too much wind, you know, air and so much of what we are seeing is simply a mirror of our own lives of our own inner wild spaces our own inner elements so i get curious about like how do i bring the waters within the watersheds within me into balance like for me that's relationship and so if i can be regularly in relationship with water and this is true, I guess, to a degree with fire and air too, but my swimming practice begins to be a way that I'm in relationship with this watershed, getting to know it, getting to feel it, drinking it. I mean, ultimately really as a communal act an acknowledgement that I am because water is.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Water is because I am, you know, my own watershed is an interaction with the watersheds all around me. And so how, what does that look like? Mm. For me, it's diving in. It's diving in and going swimming and skinny dipping. Yep, <laughs> really love. <wild. laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my gosh, I
0: it was. It's interesting that you say that because I have one child who's so into the water. Well, two that are really into the water, and I'm not really into the water. And so, we were just talking before that I had two young children say to me last night, "Can we go to the water park?" My friends' kids that I'm spending a couple of days with. And I got up this morning and I thought, let me channel my inner daughters, my two daughters, and say, like, yes, you're gonna get into the water today. You're gonna, and it was the best day. Um, And I thought, what is it about me avoiding water? mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I don't love showering. It's like all that kind of avoidance. So now you have me thinking because I felt a little wild today. I'm older, but I was doing all the things and and going down slides and trying other things. And I thought, wow, I really enjoyed the water today. It felt so good on my body. So, ah, oh, so you've got me really starting to think about oh violence. I love
2: that yeah just
0: the very thing that happened to me this morning that I was like oh I don't know if I really want to do this but children and especially young ones can convince you to do a lot of
2: things so absolutely they are such guides in that way and even yes. connecting to that own you know your I would call it the wild child within yeah the child within who remembers what that play would be like or what saying yes would feel like right can guide us back into these relationships with our locations with our you know bioregions that become so enriching and i think ultimately enchanting yeah. when i come out of my swim time i feel like i see things so much more clearly mm. because there's been this delight there's been this um i've been dipping my toes into play and mm. yeah the whole kind of emotional scape of what being in water is which i feel like you're probably still resonating that right now yeah That is such a spectacular vibe to bring into your days. Yeah, I think the elements, each of them invite us into that.
0: We obviously had you come on this podcast because we're a parenting podcast, but we're also a podcast where we're trying to move away from or work through toxic religious systems. Mm. So we would just be interested to know if you had one word to describe your faith background or phrase, what would it be? And then maybe a word or phrase where you would describe where you currently find yourself on Mm. in your spiritual journey.
2: Yeah, yeah. The word that I would choose for kind of my historic faith background would be separation. Mm. And then the word that I would use to describe where I am now and probably, you know, where I have been working towards you know, these past 25 plus years would be one of communion. Mm. And can you tell us why you chose those two words? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I grew up in a faith paradigm, a tradition that was absolutely exclusionary. I'll name it. It was very evangelical. It was very Pentecostal. It was very conservative. And so all of those lenses together created a lifestyle, essentially a faith lifestyle that passed along the message to me that I was to be kept separate from the world, right? You can be in the world, but not of the world. (laughs) This isn't your home, anyways, right? Home is in heaven. Like I think about all the hymns that. I would have been brought up singing and, you know, that we're just a pilgrim passing through. And I got a very clear message early on that I was separate from the world. I was probably even separate from myself, from all of my senses. You know, I was getting the message, don't believe what you see. Don't believe what you hear. Definitely don't touch And, you know, enjoy, you know, the sensual reality of your body. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Purity culture would be another paradigm. Mm -hmm. I I think that's why I would say, you know, this sense of separation. And, oh, my goodness. And that itself is just so toxic. Because we know, so a lot of my work is in the realm of ecology. I'm an urban naturalist and ecologist. And that is just the antithesis to how all healthy ecosystems work. We are not meant to be separate. We are meant to interrelate. We are meant to interengage. We are meant to cross-pollinate. You know, like all these words that you would hear within an ecosystem worldview, that is how our human selves are supposed to interrelate. That's how our souls actually know how to be as well. And so then to, I guess, then to communion, you know, that's co-union essentially. So it's this deep felt sense that, My self, my authentic soul reality is in expression and is mirroring all of the other souls that are around me. There's this, we are in union together. Mm. So, in this sense of interrelationship, I am engaging with the true soul of everyone around me and this is not just all the human bodies this is the more than human world as well so it's moving into this kind of a unit of consciousness or a a sense of yeah, this interrelationship with the birds and you know I think about the four-legged ones right now we currently have a kitty in our house who's missing so I'm thinking about those who have furs and feathers and all the wild ones with fronds and It's this whole wild world we are meant to be in union with as well. And that's just such a remarkable, different message than what I was brought up with. Mm -hmm. And I would say a little bit more to that story. I grew up in a household where it it was my mom that was bringing us to church on, well, it turned out to be every other Sunday. My dad at that time was an atheist. And a mountaineer. Mm. And so every other Sunday we were going to the mountains with him. So it was like, mm. you know, split Sundays. And I received such an empowering body positive message in the mountains. I can remember as a young girl being like, I'm strong, I'm courageous, I'm beautiful. So is this mountain? Look how beautiful this mountain is. How can this mountain be fallen? How can this mountain be? bad, you know, which was the message that I'd be getting on the other Sunday, you know, in a more traditional, I guess, conservative church context, you know, that the earth has fallen and just like my female body is. And I just began to kind of follow what felt true. I was just like, this can't Mm. be true. Like, what are the stories that we tell ourselves that either create connection or create separation? Mm -hmm. And i think as i got just older I became more and more interested in stories that created that sense of connection to self connection to the sacred and then connection to the more than human world mm-hmm. and i feel like that's really where vibrancy and a flourishing future lives is in is in that kind of Venn diagram
1: i love that i think it's it's important that you talk about this idea of separation because i think for so many of us our safety depended on our separation from what was worldly, right? For many of us who've grown up in these fundamentalist evangelical backgrounds, like this idea of of worshiping the earth mm-hmm. is so like mystical and anti-Christ and right, like there's this separation, this disconnect between God and earth mm-hmm. instead of this communion that you were talking about. I would love if you could talk a little bit more about how those two things have come together for you. So, you know, I started having this,
2: you know, awakening to the, I'll use the, just the word story, these different stories. Like, why am I getting one story in church that damns my embodiment as a woman and also damns the planet? And that seems to be an okay story somehow to be telling And then when I'm out in nature, in the wild, in the wilderness, um, but again, even in my own backyard, I would come away with such a profoundly different sense of myself, a sense of the potential of the world. And so ultimately, I think the curiosity that lived between these two stories is what led me to a more formal kind of education path. You know, I went to seminary. I got a master's in theology and culture and really deep dived into eco-theology. I've done postgraduate work in ecology and religion and eco-psychology and applied mythology. So like all these things have continued, I've just continued to learn and learn and listen and listen to, I believe, what ultimately is a deeply indigenous worldview that is accessible to all of humanity. Because we are all indigenous to a place, no matter where we are from, like my ancestral through lines are, you know, like my matrilineal line is in the Celtic highlands of Scotland, my father's is up in northern Sweden. And in both of those locations, there is a profoundly indigenous worldview that would say that their sacred stories would locate divinity in the world in the plant life, in the wild bodies of animals, in the wild forms of mountain and, and sea. And that just began to really light me up. And it, I think I would even say more than light me up. It began to like evoke a memory.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It evoked a memory that my bones deeply knew mm-hmm. that sacred mystery is not a construct that could only be found within the confines of a walled church Mm -hmm. dictated by a particular someone that would say that the imagination for God, again, had to kind of come through these these particular through lines, and then ultimately was separate from the earth, Mm -hmm. It was above the earth. A lot of, I think the stories that we have mistold from both Hebrew scripture and Christian scripture have misrepresented. That's such a light word for, I think, the ultimate violence actually that it has done but I'll just stick with the word misrepresented, the indigenous truth that is within both of those holy writings. Mm -hmm. I'll just speak to the person of Jesus, the historical person of Jesus, who in the gospels talks about knowing the lilies. Do you know the lilies of the field, right? The Greek for knowing the lilies actually breaks down to thoroughly know the ecosystem in which the lily lives. Thoroughly know to the degree that you're going to know the planting conditions, the right soil type, the zone, sunshade, you know, like all of these things that will make the lily grow. Mm. Thoroughly know. So that to me is herbology. That to me is going out and when I'm like working with my lavender or my rosemary, I'm doing the work that Jesus would have done in his own bioregional locatedness. To thoroughly know the plant and how to create conditions so that that plant can thrive. Mm -hmm. If we are two lilies, how much do we know about the bioregional locatedness in which we are planted and about the growing conditions that we need for us to thoroughly thrive? Mm -hmm. I don't think we get a lot of information about that from stories that try to keep us separate from that deep, deep wisdom. Because ultimately it's sacred wisdom. Ultimately it is a sacramental worldview that returns divinity to the planet. And if that is true, if we do that that work of recovering what I would call a sacramental worldview, we can no longer live in a way that treats the earth as resource. And we can no longer live in ways that are extractive and contributing ultimately, I think, to what is going to be a climate disaster. Mm -hmm. And so that's where my work gets to go. So it gets to critique quite a bit the complicity of our sacred stories and how they're saying that it's okay to live and then recovering what I would even like. Call like the green script, the green writing that is throughout sacred scripture, at least within the Judeo Christian tradition, that says, Oh, no, 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 there is something that is deeply in mm-hmm. There are messages here that say, Know where you are, for where you are is holy. And I think that changes how we live. And I think it changes how our kiddos live. And I think they ultimately already know it, anyways. They come into this world with that knowing. Unfortunately, a lot of our sacred stories teach them to forget it. Yes.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate it. And I I feel like what you said, I think we view indigenous peoples as the people that, you know, are different from, say, white Europeans. That's what I am, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that you were really wise when you said, wow, we have our own. We were indigenous in our own Mm -hmm. where we came from. Mm -hmm. Like We were the indigenous peoples and how much we've lost just even our own connection to where we came from. I just keep going back to how much I was taught as a kid, there's three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world wasn't just the world systems, it was the world. And you have to be very careful that we're not worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And that somehow the world was in competition with God. Instead of that, it's this beautiful outflowing of love, and a creative love, it turns somehow into the enemy that's in competition. And that makes absolutely no sense as you're talking to me. And as I've been learning and listening more and more to nature recently, I'm like, how could this ever, could we ever be in competition? I just get like so excited in my one garden. Anytime I see a bee and we have these one flowers that are blooming now that the, the little bumblebees are so into, I don't know their names. And I just get so excited because of the ecosystem. I'm like, oh, everything's going well. Everything's going right. We have flowers, there's bees, they're doing their thing. And I just am like, whoa, like so excited for the symbiosis or whatever. Yes, Yeah. And the connectedness, like you said, of the ecosystem. And for us not to fully immerse ourselves into the ecosystem and realize that it's dependent on us. I mean, just the silliest thing, like, Trees breathe out oxygen. We breathe out carbon dioxide. And we cannot live without flora and fauna. We would not have our oxygen. They would not have our carbon. Dioxide. And like, even just that, how could we? We cannot be separated. We cannot, we cannot be. We will both mm-hmm. perish.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. I love that you brought the trees into the conversation because they are such they they are so integral, right? Every aspect of the ecology is so integral to holistic living systems. You cannot have one without like losing all of it all together. And, And the bumblebees, right, the presence of the pollinators, you know, it's it's so hopeful when you see them. And then again, your comment about how we've created these stories of, you know, the earth in competition with God, the the wild world in competition with our imagination for God. And again, I would say that for a capitalistic, consumer-driven culture, ultimately, to take shape and form, we had to desacralize the planet. Mm-hmm. we had to begin telling stories that gave us the right to ultimately extract and extract and do profound violence to the living systems of this planet to promote the human i don't even know what this is this experiment? <laughs> you know, I'm like, what are we doing? It's not going right. You know, adjust course, just course. One of my favorite and most beloved teachers who has shaped so much of my thinking and and worldview, he's passed through the veil, but is Thomas Berry. He was a paleontologist, a, a geologist, a biologist, a theologian. And he has said that the world is a communion of subjects, Mm. not a collection of objects. Mm. And I feel like that that statement is one that I, I live by. It's like a mantra that I so deeply connect to and it guides how I walk, it guides how I live and it invites that more expansive sacred worldview that when I'm interacting with the bee or a tree, It's not an it. It's not some other. It's a subject. Uh, The Jewish philosopher Martin Buber would talk about it being a holy thou, like with a capital T. You know, it's not an it. And so then the in-between, what happens with me and the tree or me and the bee when I encounter the bee or the tree is a holy thou. What happens? What what what's that exchange? What's that posture? How does that impact? How I presence myself in that landscape, it's profoundly different if I walked into that context and engaged that tree or that bee as an object, Mm -hmm. right? Because if it's an object, you've already removed its personhood. You've removed its isness, and then you are able to power over it and that fundamentally changes the posture the hierarchical posture what could have been an equal meeting of two sacred beings becomes now the humans powering over an it an object mm-hmm. and that becomes slavery mm-hmm. and that is the power shift that has happened the world over as i think our desacralized stories have taken root mm-hmm. And I believe it's probably actually the root of all of the social issues, the political issues that create separation.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It's really interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, the ways in which I was or was not encouraged in my faith journey to be a part of nature. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to like think through and remember and you know, from a pretty young age, you get this message that like in the morning you wake up and you do devotionals like that's the most important thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And now as you know, 33 year old, I wake up and I go put my bare feet on ground. Right. And I put my face towards the sun mm-hmm. and it was not something that was ever suggested to me. I never even thought that. Being a part of the earth in that way, first thing in the morning, right, was such a form of worship. Mm-hmm. I never felt like it was that way. And I was even thinking further, I remember being on these like retreats as a teen and you're encouraged to go out into the wilderness, like have some quiet time, but it was always with the idea that your Bible would be with you and your Bible would be your focus. There was never this understanding of like, go and sit with nature for an hour. Yeah, right. Put your listening ears on and just be. There was always something to be done. There was never just a stillness with nature. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: All well-meaning, but all misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, misguided. Right?
0: We'll be right back with the rest of today's podcast episode. But first, we want to give a big shout out to those of you who support us through our Patreon community. who are helping us keep the lights on so that we can continue bringing all this goodness to you. For just $3 a month, you can invest in our work and become part of our private Facebook community, which provides a completely safe space to dive deeper into all the questions and nuances that come with parenting and deconstructing. You can find that information right on our website at deconstructingmamas.com. So thank you so much for your support. Pete Enns, Stephanie, and Claire Allison. Now back to our podcast. The rewilding of your own story, how has that view or your imagination of God changed? And then, and maybe, how has rewilding of your story changed the view about yourself? And then, since you have these four kids and we are a parenting podcast, yeah. how has that changed about your view of your kids? Mm-hmm. Maybe even your parenting. So, I'm asking three, mm-hmm. how has your view changed on the imagination of God? yourself and your kids?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yes. Um, let's let's just briefly, briefly talk about what rewilding is because I know that it's a real- Love that. Yeah. I mean, there's some sort of kind of a, there's it's a popular term to be using right now. And I love that because I think there's so much richness in the recovery of the worldview that rewilding invites us into. A lot of my work in the city is, is as an urban naturalist. And I've been part of a an actual rewilding project for 45 acres in an urban forest in the South side of Seattle for nearly 17 years. So that makes me want to just clarify like what rewilding is. Rewilding is when you bring ecosystems back into wholeness Mm. through reintroduction of apex predators, reestablishment of natural land bridges. So if there's some sort of, Human made scape, whether it's a road or maybe a waterway that wasn't traditionally there, if that dissects the ecosystem to create a bridge that reconnects both landscapes on either side, it would be kind of that idea. And you're doing this to reestablish wholeness. So that's the ecological rewilding project. I have engaged that work with the land. And as a spiritual ecologist, I know the primary truth that we are nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now here, kind of where I'm, I'm knitting these ideas together. So if I am nature, and we have these landscapes that we have desecrated so much that we now have to create like intervention systems called rewilding, where we are bringing the wolves back, we are creating land bridges again. Oh, I'm nature too. What has been desecrated within me to the point where I need to recover my own land bridge inside of me? I need to introduce my own apex predator. Who was the one within me that got shoulded out, shamed out, mythologized out? I think about all the stories that we have about the wolf that demonizes the wolf to the point where it creates an entitled way of being in relationship with the wolf where you eradicate the wolf, right? Like, and as a female, <laughs> conservative Christianity is like, oh my goodness, my inner wolf was totally annihilated. Okay. So I'm holding, I'm holding that. And then I think about my imagination for God, a God that is so separate from this planet that eschews the planet that has some you know strange promise that a new planet will come after we burn this one up it's like no 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 no, no. where's the wildness of god mm-hmm. what would a wild god be like who is the wild god that gave birth to an imagination of this wild earth and all of its creatures i'm really interested in knowing that god who is this wild jesus who knew the conditions of the lily so deeply and profoundly that he could like you know riff in paradigms off of that like so when i talk about rewilding like i'm kind of holding it from all these ways and so i find that then how has rewilding like changed my view of god if rewilding is bringing things back into whole relationship and etymologically wholeness and holiness are related then wholeness is holiness mm-hmm. so whole ecological relationships whole healthy ecosystems become a mirror of god mm-hmm. it becomes a mirror of And I'm still deeply Trinitarian, actually, but I think it becomes a mirror of Trinitarian divinity. Mm -hmm. It shows what the inner workings of a balanced water system, a balanced sun, you know, in terms of like how much heat, how much shine speaks of a balanced earth, you know, the soil and the dirt, um, the, the humus, when those things are in balance, whole holy life comes forth. Yeah. So that has transformed how I view God. It has transformed how I even imagine what worship is. I too, I too, Liz, begin my mornings. I used to do, oh my goodness, agnosium. I would do my daily devotions. And I now begin my morning with the seven directions prayer. Mm. And so I greet each direction. And it's this very indigenous, deep knowing that there is sacred wisdom that is found in the particularities of each of the cardinal directions. As well as the direction of up towards the sky and the cosmos and down towards the earth, the seventh direction being the whole wild world within. Hmm. I also will, yeah, just take off my shoes and scrunch my toes in the dirt. I will wash my hands, even just at the sink, as an acknowledgement of holy water. It's like a daily baptism, Hmm. but it's deeply sensual, it's engaging my senses. And so with my kids, too. So what does this end up looking like? We'll go on what we call sacred senses walks where we engage, like on our walk, we'll engage who are we seeing? Who are we smelling? Who are we tasting? You know, and so then the the tasting invites relationships because you're not gonna just pick up any berry or any leaf and put it in your mouth without knowing if it's toxic for our human bodies or not. So all of this invites relationship. Who am I feeling? Who am I sensing, right? Waking up that wild way of knowing that instinct that so often, again, like you're shamed into like forgetting how to access it. So that would be an example is like with my kiddos, like doing these sacred senses walks.
0: Hmm. Can I ask a weird question about it? So you have some teenagers in that mix. Mm -hmm. All of this would seem so holy, right? And so sacred. And then you have just the reality of raising middles and bigs like do you find that this connection that you've sort of brought into your relationship with them since they were tinies what has that done for them do you see them different than maybe you were as a teenager are they more connected or Are they like a little bit of questioning? Are they doing their normal pushback?
2: Yeah. Oh, well, there's definitely the eye rolls. Yeah. When I, especially with the word rewilding, oh, a mom, you know, and then the eye roll and their access to personal pleasure and like their ability to be like, yes, to myself is off the charts, not in an egocentric way, but I grew up, you know, with such a clear message that. You never take care of your own needs. you know you always Ugh. everyone else, you're always just in service to everyone else and and to witness these guys just being like, I felt like going for a walk or I felt like sleeping in or I felt like a second bowl of cereal. And I did. I'm like you did. <laughs> they have their phones, you know, they have their insta accounts and and I also see in them an ability to connect to beauty, natural beauty, in a way that feels really countercultural, mm-hmm. in a way that shows that they can still deeply see, that they can still deeply hear, and I think it's also evidenced by what they're interested in. So, in our area, we have a, a lot of different like wilderness opportunities, wilderness programs. My youngest son did an all outside preschool, but then all the kiddos, my teens, just—I mean, they just came back from a summer F service with one of the programs they've done like these wilderness programs where once a month on a whole Saturday, they're out in the woods and they're learning, you know, kind of some back to the land skills. They're learning how to create cordage and, you know, forage and build shelters, but they're also learning like how to, how to walk. I mean, again, like it's all sensory, like how do you walk in a way where all of your senses are ignited And you can walk like a bear. You can walk like a coyote. And so, again, it's that invitation into interrelationship, you know, and I guess my hope is that all of all of these kind of reframing of spirituality and the work of like rewilding worship, essentially like bringing worship into a much larger environmental reality will Invite them and just to a profoundly bigger relationship with God Mm -hmm. and community as well, that they will know that they are in communion. They will be in co-union when they are on a hike. There's just a deeper sense of interrelationship. And I think that's intuitive to kids anyways. This generation and what they're living through in terms of their witnessing of climate change I don't know. I often actually kind of wonder. You know, they they don't remember necessarily a world before my youngest, especially before there was smoke season. And so I get curious because it's not that they're fighting for something anymore because they don't even really remember what the world was like. I would call it the before times of climate change. They just kind of know what it is, but there is a deep sense that there's an imbalance. Mm-hmm. And in their own ways, I think they're living towards a new balance Mm -hmm. and it's going to look different than what it looked like for me, like in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. But I see that in them. They're, they're living towards balance, but it's going to look different. Right. And that's evolution. That's emergence. Anyways.
0: All of this plays out with our kids, all of this different healing that goes on in us does play out. And over the long view, I could see the healing that's happened in my own kids as a result of mine. Mm And that doesn't mean it just happens like this. It doesn't mean they're not normal teenagers. They're not doing normal stuff like every other kid playing sports, whatever. But there is this sense of more is caught than taught, like that Mm -hmm. when you have a real inner passion, when they see their parents' lives transformed or changed or healed as a result of something that, like you said, not separation, but communion, Mm -hmm. who doesn't want that? Right Eventually, they're gonna do all their things, but who wouldn't want something that's that they see is healthy or whole or right even in their own relationship with you, they're not separate from you. They're not bad and you are good I and mean, you don't have this not this hierarchical I'm above, I get to you know like those kinds of things yeah
2: they'll still want to individuate <laughs> oh, absolutely right. hey, totally yeah, that's still totally developmentally appropriate and good, and they're supposed to yes. But it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't have to be within a context that places us as a power over Hmm. them. Yes. You know, what does it look like for them to begin to acknowledge that, you know what, mom, I'm more of a Douglas fir and I know that you're a Western red cedar. So look, we're different, but we can still totally like nurture each other and live together in the same forest.
1: I wonder too, like, I don't know if you can speak to this a little bit, but the amount of confidence in self that they get from the uncomfortable parts of nature, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. like the cold, the rain, it's hot, it's buggy, like these other like elements, right? That they are it's so easy, I think, for us to just be like, we're not going outside because it's hot, right? Or like, we're not, we're not communing with nature unless it's pleasant, right? <laughs> and so this idea of like, we're going out and we're experiencing all of nature, right? In all of its different forms, how empowering that, I know you talked a little bit about that on your own journey, right? Just being out with your dad, uh-huh. but how, have you seen that play out in their ability to Withstand hard things or problem solve or. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Again, I'm thinking about these like wilderness program contexts where they are. I mean, they're tasked with building their own shelter and guess what? It looks like it's going to 90% chance of rain tonight. You know, we live in the Pacific Northwest, so better make sure that you build a really good structure. You're going to be soaking wet, (laughs) you know, and where else are you going to go? So there's this sense of empowerment Mm -hmm. and because of relationship, because they know the trees that they're working with they know that Western red cedar has amazing kind of waterproof characteristics. So I'm going to go find some Western red cedar and work with Western red cedar and creating my shelter. And Mm -hmm. so as a result of relationship, they're empowered to go further out, go further beyond the boundaries that maybe we would want to erect for our own sense of safety or control. And then again, though, working with this whole spiritual ecology tenant that we are nature. So we too can be too hot. What's it like when we're too hot? If it's too hot to go outside and we're not, we're not going to engage outside because it's too hot. Have you ever felt like you're too hot and someone what doesn't want to engage with you? how can we use how, and they know how to do this maybe unconsciously, but then you bring it out through conversation and continual conversation. And I see them being able to relate with their peers, relate within their communities and so much more holistic than I was brought up with, like they're so welcoming and inclusive because it's like, they can see the whole ecosystem of a person Right. and they're not saying, well, something of you isn't welcome or something of you is too hot. So I'm not going to engage it. It's more like, oh yeah, I know what it's like when it's totally raining in Seattle. And I think it's so cozy. So if you're like totally rainy and I don't know, feeling bummed out, like, I think that's cozy. So I'm going to bring you in. Like you can see how you can kind of play with it, but there's this sense that when you welcome all of nature and all of its wild ways and recast that into our own soulscapes there's a befriending or a a belonging that is remarkably different than again any sort of story of separation
1: yeah that's
2: Mm. so good you're just kind of coming back to that that same theme yeah
1: yeah this is so good that's really great that's yeah uh
2: well we're always looking for resources for our
0: people and i know you have a resource that your website connects to called the wild church network yeah which i think is really cool can you just tell us a little bit more maybe i went on last night and i was like location finder is there a wild church network church near me Sure. yeah (laughs) so what is that what is that
2: Well, so the Wild Church Network is a growing affiliation of churches, spiritual leaders who are doing the work of doing traditional church different. And it's more than just doing church outside. It's not taking the same teachings that you would have within the walls and then just reenacting it outside. It's really, again, you know, speaking about the imagination of God, really trying to recast this much more wild perspective of God into the worshipful context and Mm. bringing the wild world as a co-creator of the whole worshipful experience, you know, all in. Mm. And so Waymarkers, that's the organization through which I do my work, was an early affiliate of the Wild Church Network. I don't personally have my own wild church, but as a spiritual leader, a lot of my retreats kind of cross-pollinate with the wild church network. If you are interested in any of this, you can look around to see if there's one close to you. It seems that often they meet on the kind of solstices or equinoxes. There's a real resonance to, again, kind of align our sacred gatherings are, you know, gathering with our faith communities with the calendar of the year, you know, yeah. like what is happening at the winter solstice? Why does that matter? And why as modern people should we reconnect to it? You know, the same with the summer solstice. I mean, for me personally, it has been such an enlivening way to invigorate my spiritual life, my faith, and you know, I've I've been a part of the, the church, I've practiced the liturgical calendar pretty much my whole life. And it's almost like an it's like a it's like a wild liturgical calendar. Yeah. Again, to attune to the wheel of the year. And it recasts, I think, a lot of our Judeo-Christian celebrations, high holy days, in a way that reconnects it to this wild reality, mm-hmm. this deeply in placed God that God is. In the wind and in the waves, in the sun and the moon, and and it doesn't mean that you're worshiping those things. And I think it's such you know people can get so like, oh, wait, that's pantheism. Oh no, like no, it's panentheism. It's the God within. It's the God within. within everything. Yes, yes.
0: It's even something as simple for me. Like lately, my husband he's so cute with all this stuff. <laughs> He will not, he will be so excited about this podcast with you, but he just said to me, guess what, guess what? I said, what? He said, it's a blue moon and super moon Wednesday night. Make sure you go outside. What can I listen to and learn from in one simple way from happening just right outside? That's right, Esther. I mean, I'm just dipping my toes, but it's very exciting.
2: It is. And I think, and it's exciting because it feels new, but I feel like it's exciting because it also feels so deeply remembered. Yes. You know, and that's, it goes back to that indigenous reality that again, we all are in place. Our lineage all comes from a a legacy that knew that the earth was sacred. And, you know, it's so helpful to remember that a lot of our sacred written scriptures are, you know, we think that they are, forever and but they've only been written within the course of human history and our presence on this planet is but like a post stamp on the top of the eiffel tower so you know the celtic imagination understood the wild world to be the primary scripture that was the big book of god and the written word was the little scripture and it was secondary actually to the scripture of nature and so the practice of lectio terrestria and other practices that i do and even like going out to watch and look at the moon is i feel like it evokes an old way of reading an old way of knowing that you know the lines of scripture are written with the pen stroke of the moon you know are written with the green ink of cedar or with the waves of the sea. So how do we learn to read that again? Because I think if we did, we would be able to understand, I know in our bioregion, what the orca whales are telling us Mm
0: -hmm.
2: or what the high hurricane winds and fires of Lahaina are saying. Mm -hmm. Like we've got in many ways to quickly recover the lexicon of the wild so that we can read and become conversant in what is so clearly being communicated in this old language.
1: I also think of just how much easier it is to be instead of do. Yeah, when I'm thinking about everything you're saying, I'm thinking like, there's a piece of me that sighs in relief Mm -hmm. that just being, right, a part of the world as best we can and being open to listening and learning and knowing that that could be enough like just that totally yeah that's amazing because (laughs) right there's not the heavy
2: lift of like getting up early early and getting the whole family out the door and don't forget your potluck item and don't forget also all the Sunday school materials and don't forget you know like and then you know and then be it somewhere during nap time Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like no all that doing is so damaging in some ways and so yeah what if what if that early morning gaze east Mm was a way of actually saddling up in the choir loft with everyone else and everyone else is the whole more than human world and gathering our voices with the morning matins that is sung by the robin at 5 a.m and when we look east we are actually participating in this great choir of creation hmm. you know and it doesn't require even leaving the house it's just posturing your body eastward, like that's enough. Yeah. I mean, it's more than enough. Cause I think if we all did that, it could very well save our world. Yeah. There's a practice
0: that happens just on this. We have a rental property down along a coast and there's this weird practice that happens just in this little 18 mile stretch where when the sun
1: sets, everybody runs to the the sunset. You know, for so many of us who are, Sort of stuck in this push and pull of being a part of this, you know, modern world, right? Doesn't feel right. Can you just give us like two or three ways throughout the day that we can help them connect to nature in a way that feels for lack of a better term, easy, right? In a culture where everything feels fast-paced and no one feels like they can handle another thing.
2: Right. Like these bite-sized chunks, right? And again, I think all of it is framed as relationship. So if we think about it as relationship, instead of like another to-do practice, I think that alone, Mm -hmm. any little bite-sized piece is a way to deepen into relationship. And again, these kiddos, like they... They're already doing it. Think about how slow they walk and their eyes are on the ground and they see the bug and they want to bend down and they want to take it home. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they're already doing that work of relationship. And so maybe it's, and this is where our work is, right? Like, how do we slow ourselves down? How do we ignite our curiosity enough to get down with them and be like, Oh, I wonder what the name of this bug is. Or I wonder what the name of this plant is. Let's find out together. And that begins the work of again, what I think Jesus is inviting us to with thoroughly knowing our places. So how do we invite them into that thorough knowing? And it's, bite size and it's a lifetime of interrelationship, but then it's, maybe it's learning the name of a plant. Maybe it's learning its medicinal qualities, how it was maybe traditionally used with indigenous peoples. Was it for housing? Was it for clothing? Can we eat it? You know, could, is it safe to eat? Could we maybe make some forest tea out of this? Could we make some jam out of that berry? Those little, I think, activities become a way of deepening Relationship. When we go to a new place, this is a I've done with my kiddos. My bigs still do this too, as a way of just like arriving well. You know, we'll we'll do a, a kind of a version of the Seven Directions prayer. Sometimes it just looks like where's north, everybody? Can you find it? Can you feel it? So it's like locating the directions, and then we'll also go like find a rainbow. And so the direction for me is like, okay, go find your sacred rainbow, and we'll go into a landscape that might like a seascape, which looks overwhelmingly blue or gray in the Pacific Northwest. And they'll, within like a half an hour's time, each come back with something, some wild one, you know, whether it's a rock or a leaf or a flower or a stick that together is all a rainbow. And they'll lay that out and they'll be like, look at my rainbow, look at my rainbow. And what that practice does or what that activity does, I mean, it slows us down, Mm -hmm. It invokes curiosity. It invokes wonderment. You know, I wonder where red might be. I wonder where purple. You know, everyone thinks, "Oh, there's never going to be purple. There always is purple." And then when you have this this line, or you know, sometimes they make a little mandala out of it, of this rainbow. The joy and the delight that emanates from them is, I think, what evokes this enchanted reality. They now know that they live in a world where rainbows exist, where rainbows can be found anywhere. Mm-hmm. And again, that I think is a symbol of unity. It's, it's a beautiful symbol of a story that assures us of our holiness and our wholeness, however we are formed. It's just beautiful. So those would be maybe a couple of things that I might say.
1: I love that. I love the rainbow thing. I'm going to yeah. do that. I That's yeah. such a fun way Yeah, that's really, that's so fun.
2: For adults and kids alike.
0: They
1: will love that. Who doesn't love rainbows? Totally.
0: I am. I did it a couple weeks ago, this rainbow thing. It's so funny. I did it on a walk. I said to my husband, okay, we're finding the rainbow today. We're going to find every color. And I was so nervous because we hadn't found orange yet. And we were almost back home. And then we walked by our neighbors and they had some weird plant that I've never seen before with bright orange berries. Ooh, and I, I was giddy and I took pictures. I was like, here's red, here's purple. Uh, the sky was bright blue that day. And I was like, look, yes. all we have to do is look up for the blue. And 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 it was just my husband and I were in our 50s and we're like, I was just like a little kid yeah it was a half hour walk and it made it so much more fun so liz i think that's so and kids always want to find rainbows i mean they just everybody i want to
2: find a rainbow so it's like a treasure hunt
0: right i think i'm gonna do that i'm with these two kids for the next couple days and i think we're gonna take a rainbow walk tomorrow Oh, i love it we've only touched the surface of all the things you have to offer can you just tell people what you offer, you did say some things and where they can find you because this is really huge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, there's, you know, every summer I take groups on a sacred journey to Iona, Scotland, and that is totally hard to do with littles. And so if you happen to be in the Pacific Northwest, I do quarterly rewilding retreats in the islands, kind of just north of Seattle. And those are in conversation and in concert with the kind of the themes of the different seasons. So the next one is end of September, and that is a way to cross the threshold into the autumn equinox or acknowledge the autumn equinox, crossing the autumn season. And then, you know, COVID did a lot of challenging things for all of us. And one thing that it invited me into was really figuring out how I could get my offerings on a platform that could be accessible You know, during the COVID years, and now I think just to more people. So, you could go to my website, which is waymarkers.net. I'll pin what I want to say about what waymarkers means. And there you'll find my Sacred Seasons series. And that's an online, self directed course where you can go through the seasons of the year. It's great for church groups, it's great for spiritual communities to do together, it's great for individuals, it's great for families, and it's a way to go through the year. You can also just take it season by season and learn, remember, reconnect to the deep sacred wisdom within the seasons. And then I'll yeah, just kind of speak to the name way markers. This actually is coming from the exilic tradition within Hebrew scripture. In the book of Jeremiah, there is this invitation for these wandering people who are out in the wilderness, trying to find home, to look for waymarks along the way and they'll guide you home they'll guide you you know kind of to the promised land and the hebrew translation of waymarks um is stones and trees hmm. so i hear in that this deeply embedded worldview that knew that these wild natural ones are going to be guides who bring us home and home to me is this deep sense of belonging, mm-hmm. not a sense of separation, not a sense of isolation, not a sense of, you know, you don't belong, but rather the stones and the trees are, yeah, these, like, I almost imagine like a pilgrimage guide who say, you're on the right path. You're, you're doing great. You got this. Mm-hmm. I know maybe the load feels heavy. I know the kids and, you know, Feel heavy on your back if you're carrying them or on your side. But the rocks and the trees will show you how to get home, which ultimately I think is home within ourselves. Yes. Home on this planet. When we arrive there, we are a sacred gift to the world because we live from that place of belonging. If we can have an imagination that that's what salvation is, we have a hope for a really good future for our kiddos.
0: Thank you so much for coming. Mm. Oh my goodness, this has been fabulous. So this has been so good. You've given us some such really good stuff. So thank you. Oh, we really appreciate
2: it, Mary. You're welcome, Esther and Liz. And thanks for this invitation. And yeah, these are, these are always just the beginnings, right? So blessings on you listeners. If this feels like an invitation to cross a threshold into some new wild ways of of knowing and feeling and yeah, I'm here for you. If you need it, if you need any support along the way.
1: Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of the deconstructing mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe.
0: Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed and remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at deconstructing mamas.
1: That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast as well as on our website, DeconstructingMamas.com. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter when you get there.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, join our Patreon network for just $3 a month and have access to our private community with all kinds of extras. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts or just tell others about the show.
1: Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.